rather than trying to address all of those things myself, <laughs> I'm just going to let it, like we're going to read this passage where the Bible is talking about itself, and I want to talk about that. And we're going to let the Bible speak to some of these challenges and what it is. Crazy idea, I know. Let's just try it. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Let's read it together. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Let's use another means of grace and go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we need your grace. We ask you to pour it out on us. Lord, uh, use your word. Uh, speak grace to our hearts today. Um, Lord, fill us, um, transform us, change us, enliven us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, our outline for this morning is going to follow the text very directly. We're going to talk about how the word of God is living we're going to talk about how the Word of God is active, and we're going to talk about how the Word is piercing and dividing. So living, active, piercing, and dividing. Three points. Ready? So we're going to talk about how the Word of God is living. The Bible says it's living. Um, I'm a big fan of Monty Python. You guys know Monty Python? Young people, do you know Monty Python? Okay, good. So uh, I see some nods from some young people. That always makes me feel good. Um, so Monty Python, Holy Grail, right? There's this scene where the, the plague has happened, and there's a guy with a wheelbarrow, right? And he's wheeling it through the streets, and he's saying, bring out your dead, right? <laughs> and uh, they're bringing out dead bodies. I know this is dark. I'm sorry. Um, they're bringing out dead bodies and throwing them in the wheelbarrow, and then eventually they bring out this guy who's, who's not dead. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy goes, I'm not dead yet, <laughs> right? And... And the guy with the wheelbarrow says, yes, you are, be quiet, right? <laughs> um, and they kind of have this back and forth where it's like, you know, the guy who's alive is arguing that he's alive, and the other guy's like, no, no, you're dead. Um, and uh, I feel like oftentimes that's the conversation that we have with the Bible. <laughs> We're the guy with the wheelbarrow, and the Bible, like, repeatedly is saying, I'm alive. <laughs> and we're going, no, you're not, you're dead. There's a commentary that I, I actually really love the commentary. Someday I'll recommend it to you when I'm not going to bash it like I'm about to. Because um, I love the commentary. I love the content of the commentary. It's great. But the, the title of the commentary has a subtitle. And, and the subtitle is Bringing the Bible to Life. <laughs> As though that's something we need to do. <laughs> right. But let me be honest with you. Every time I'm preaching a sermon, I feel like it's my job to bring the Bible to life to you, as though, like, I got the, like, charge, <laughs> right? That's how we feel, and, and that's how we approach this. We feel like, all right, we've got to bring this to life. We've got to kind of do the, all this stuff to make it alive, and the Bible says, I'm not dead. I, the Bible doesn't just say that in Hebrews, by the way. That is an overwhelming message of Scripture about itself. It says it all over the place. For example, 1 Peter 1.23 says the, the, the word is living and abiding, right? Um, there's many other places where it talks about this. I, Isaiah 40 
um, verse 8, says the Bible's not only alive, um, but that it's eternal, right? It says all flesh is like, you know, the grass and the flowers, and the flowers wither, right, and fade and die. But what about the word of the Lord? What does it do? You can, you can answer. Yeah, it's, it lasts forever, right? It's not just alive, it's eternal. Um, and the Bible even, when it talks about the word, right, it's talking about both the gospel and it's talking about scripture, but it's also talking about a person, right? It's also talking about a person. John 1 talks about the word becoming flesh, right? So, so when we talk about the word being living and active, like the, the biggest kind of like most profound thing that the Bible has to say is that it actually became a living, breathing person and came in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not surprising, is it, that the world thinks that this is dead? Because does it think Christ is alive? <laughs> no. Um, but what the Bible says over and over about itself is that it's alive. It's living. It's breathing, and it's not going to die. But what does it say about us? <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, it's less optimistic about us. Uh, I mean, to be clear, there's, you know, at the beginning, God breathes life into us. Pretty much from then on, it's all death. Like, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There are just stories after story after, like, our corruption and our decay and our dying. Uh, the Bible is, is, is pretty clear. Uh, the outlook for us is not good apart from what it brings to us. And so here's, here's the irony, right? Here's the irony. The, the Word talks about it, it bringing us to life. John 7 talks about the Word being producing living waters, like water that actually brings us to life. First Peter talks about it being an imperishable seed that's planted in us and brings us eternal life. So, so here's the irony. We think we have to give life to this, but the truth is, is that this is what gives us life, right? We get it backwards, totally. Um, and, and, and God has given us this living and imperishable word, not as something that we need to care for and cultivate and breathe life into, but as something that's going to do that to us. But isn't it interesting how we flip that? And in flipping that, make this about us instead of making this about what he's doing in us. There's three reasons that I want to kind of tease out why the fact that the word is alive is just a really amazing grace for us. First of all, um, I think we, when we think about this as a dead work, right, or, or like our works, you know, there, there's a sense in which there's, there's some, some things that we create that kind of bring life to each other. Have you ever witnessed that, been in any kind of situation where that's happened? Maybe you're on a sports team and your coach kneels down in the center and says, all right. We're going to give it to them on the left, We're, you know, whatever. Like the pep talk, or maybe you watched a Kid President video on YouTube once. You ever seen Kid President? Go watch Kid President. It's good stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like a pep talk, right? Something, and, and afterwards, you're kind of like, all right, let's go. You know, you feel enlivened. So we, we experienced some of that. Um, it's almost like those kind of talks are almost magical to some degree, right? Um, 
to the degree that that's just a, a, a shadow of what God's Word is, right? God's Word is literally magical. He spoke light into existence with His Word. <laughs> when He talks, stuff happens <laughs> everywhere, comes to life, you know, out of His Word, blossoms all sorts of things. And, and 2 Corinthians 4 compares directly God speaking light into existence and the stuff He's doing in your heart. God who spoke light from darkness is bringing light into you who are dark, is what 2 Corinthians 4 says. And so rather than seeing this, if we see this as just another TED Talk, as some sort of like not really that magical, kind of plain and mundane kind of like instruction, if we see sermons like just another kind of like lecture that we're listening to, then we miss the reality that this is magic. This is powerful stuff. This is the Word of God that's doing active things. It's alive. And we need to approach it that way because that is an incredible grace to be given that. It is, it is not something that isn't going to bring life into us. It's so alive, we can't encounter it without experiencing some of that. The Word says about itself, goes forth and it doesn't return empty. It accomplishes what it's supposed to do. It's alive. And that's a grace. Secondly, it's a grace that it can't die. When I was talking about all those challenges, did anybody start to kind of get tense a little bit? I did. In the first service, there was a woman that went, no. And I was like, I appreciate your faith. <laughs> but I have to confess, as a pastor, I worry about that stuff, right? I worry about the Bible becoming obsolete, about it being lost in the shuffle. I worry about people engaging with it as a, a means of guilt. I sometimes do that. And I sometimes don't know how to get out of that. But it's promise about itself that, it, that it's never going to die. It's never going to become obsolete. It can't be squashed by Satan. That's an incredible grace, an incredible promise. Like, it's not up to me <laughs> to keep this thing alive. It's eternal. What a grace to be given it. Thirdly, <clears throat> We're never going to outgrow it. It's alive and growing and flourishing. It's so alive. It's so much more alive than us, right? That, that coming into contact brings life. Oftentimes, I think we think we've outgrown this. But that's impossible, given that it is living water. <laughs> um, you know, someone once said that the word is shallow enough for a baby to wade in, but deep enough for an elephant to drown in. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, right? But I know, I know lots of people who are like, I can't approach this book because I don't understand it. You know, I don't, I don't get it. Um, but then, you know, you get into it and you start to see that even the simplest person can benefit from it. And, and it brings flourishing in their life. I've also been sitting in a seminary classroom with probably uh, my, my smartest seminary professor who's going on and on about kind of like some aspect of the beauty of this word and just gone, wow, that's so deep. But then one of my classmates raises his hand and says, Dr. Frame, what about this passage? And I watched him go, huh, I've never thought about it in this context before. And over his face, this awe about the beauty of Scripture goes. 
Some of you feel like you've outgrown of this. Some of you are afraid you're going to outgrow it. Let me just tell you, ain't going to happen. It's so alive and so flourishing. It's so deep and so beautiful and so rich. You're never going to get sick of it. Now, of course, I know that sometimes you engage with it and you feel like, I'm kind of sick of this. <laughs> and, but I think that's because we approach it with this expectation that it's dead. If we come with this expectation that God is actually a living and breathing life into us through this, there should be an incredible excitement about what's going on. All right, so it's alive. Let's move on. Let's talk about how it's active, living and active, it says. Um, we have a pet at the Sutton House. Never thought we would get a pet because we have five children. It feels like they're pets. Lots of responsibility with five children. Don't really feel like we want any more. Um, but we were at the beach, and one of our pets, breed kids, um, <laughs> talked me into getting a pet. They were in one of the wings, you know, eagles, one of those stores. And you know what they sell? Hermit crabs. <laughs> so we have a hermit crab. I was convinced this thing would not last a month. We've had it for almost two years. But I kind of like the hermit crab. His name is Clay. Um, Clay the hermit crab. I like him because, you know, we put some food in there once a week, kind of make sure he has water. Sometimes we don't see him for months at a time. There was one period of time where, I mean, he totally disappeared, and I was convinced he was dead somewhere in there. Um, and I was just kind of like, I don't know how I'm going to break this to the kids. Anyway, we, we had a babysitter, Paris Hunt, came over, and, and she was worried that he was dead, and she dug him out and found him, and he was alive. He had just buried himself in the sand and hadn't come up for three months. <laughs> Hermit crabs do that. Great pets. <laughs> Hermit crabs. <laughs> I highly recommend them. You can go out of town, and don't worry about it. Um, yeah. Here's the deal, though. A lot of us think about Scripture like it's a hermit crab, right? Like, we're pretty sure it's alive, but we haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> like, not sure it's doing anything, right? Um, well, that's not the way the Bible talks about itself at all, right? There's this passage, living and active. I've already talked about, like, God in creation speaks a word and everything comes into existence. That's pretty exciting, right? Pretty active, um, you know, uh, the Word talks about itself bringing about repentance and faith, speaking new life into us, feeding our souls, washing Christ's church. Um, and beyond Scripture, even historically, if you look at the impact that the Word of God has had on our world, if you spend any amount of time studying that at all, it's pretty impressive. I mean, overwhelming. Um, think about its impact on beauty and the arts. Think about its impact on law and morality, historically. You know, you, you could go through any kind of number of categories, and, and you start thinking about that, and you go, wow, this thing's had an impact. The Word of God has had an impact on our world, on our culture, on our history. And you know what's interesting? Again, we think of our relationship with this as incredibly active, but the way that this describes our relationship with it is incredibly passive. Listen to this. This is how the scriptures talk about us um, in relationship to the word. 
We receive it. We're transformed by it. We're born again. We're fed. We're washed. We're encouraged. We're built up. We're convicted. We're rebuked. These are some of the words. Almost all passive. Do you see that? <laughs> like, this thing is more active in our relationship with it than we are. Now, that's not to say that we don't have <laughs> some activity with this. We are, in fact, instructed, and it does talk about us meditating on it. It does talk about us reading it. <laughs> it talks about us preaching it. Um, and it talks about us living it. But almost all of those active things are in response to its initiation. <laughs> um, right? And so there's this, this sense, I think, that we feel like we've got to kind of like initiate with this, but, but it's God's word that's living and active. It goes forth and doesn't return void, right? It's, I, I want you to know, it's coming for you, <laughs> right? It's, it's not buried in the sand waiting for you to dig it out. It's coming to dig you out of the sand. That is how the Bible talks about itself. That is how the Bible talks about the Word. It's active, okay? And that's a grace. That is a huge grace that it's coming for you, that it's not waiting on you, right? That, that it sends people like me to come and, like, speak it to you. Have, have you ever experienced, like, the Word of God coming for you? Maybe it came through a friend, Maybe it was you're watching a movie and all of a sudden you realize this is a biblical theme and it reminds me of this, <laughs> right? Like it's so embedded in our culture. Like there's so many ways in which the Bible can come for you, right? But we kind of like ignore that and act like it's up to us to come and find it. And God wants you to see this is an incredible grace that I have sent out my word to come and get you. It's coming, right? Um, think about... Uh, Augustine's testimony, St. Augustine, you ever heard that, his confessions? He's, he's like in a park, and he hears this voice to take up and read, and there's the Bible, and he starts reading it, and it changes his life, he becomes a Christian. There's all kinds of stories about like that, like it, it coming for people. Um, so th there are no secret Bible codes. The Bible's not waiting on you to kind of figure it out right? Waiting on you to really kind of like in, engage with it. Like it's, it's all through our worship service. If you come here from beginning and end, I hope you get a sense of God's word coming for you again, rhythmically, like beating a drum. It's coming. It's active. It's in every part of our worship service. Now, I do want to say as an aside, that doesn't mean that you should dismiss those one-year Bible reading plans or just stop kind of engaging with it or initiating with it, right? Um, Paul says at one point in Romans, sin the more so that grace may abound? Absolutely not, right? If you think that grace will abound by you avoiding this book, some of you think that. You're like, okay, I'm not going to let this become a means of guilt, so I'm just not going to read it and therefore experience God's grace. <laughs> that might happen, but this is the ordinary means of grace. This is the regular one that God left for you to find. And so, read the Bible less so that grace may abound? Absolutely not, <laughs> right? When I was, uh, when I first met Katie, my wife, it was Tiernanogue Irish Pub, no longer there. Moment of silence. Um, we were there, right? And I had heard all this stuff, like people had been telling me, 
Like, don't ask a girl for her number because that's too forward and aggressive and puts, like, you in charge. If you want to be, you know, a modern man, give her your number and wait for her to call you. I'm not sure that was good advice, but that was the operating thing in my mind when I met Kate. So I gave her my phone number. Like, a month and a half later, she finally called me. (laughs) And I didn't answer. (laughs) (laughs) So it went to voicemail. But guess what that meant? She was interested. (laughs) And I listened to that voicemail probably a hundred times in the first week that I had it. And I say the first week because I kept it for six months. Long after we started dating, I kept it as long as I had that phone. And every now and then, you know what I would do? I'd go back and listen to that voicemail message, that one, that first time when Katie expressed interest. I experienced her love (laughs) by going back to it. You would have said I was ridiculous if I was like, well, I'm just not going to listen to that voicemail message because I want to experience her interest. That didn't, that's not how it works, right? Some of you act like this. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to taste how good this is by not eating it. <laughs> like having a piece of cake and saying it's going to be better if I just don't engage with it. So read it, <laughs> okay? But don't act like it's depending on you for the magic to happen. It's, it's alive. It's active. It's coming for you. And secondly, second grace from this, it's transforming you. Right? We talked about Augustine. Like, that was instantaneous. He converted reading the Bible. Right? Boom. Instant transformation. You could see it in his testimony. Very clear. Um, it's not always the case that the Bible's transformation is that instantaneous and clear. Being in this church for 20 years, I have seen the Bible do some amazing things in people's life over a decade. And oftentimes, they can't see it because it's in them, and it's slow and progressive, um, but it's there. So it's a grace that this is active. It's changing you, transforming you. If you don't feel like it is, I'd encourage you, sometime this week, find somebody that has known you for a little while and say, how do you see the Bible transforming me? I bet they'll point out some things that you don't see. Try it. And thirdly, <clears throat> it's a grace that this transforms you in ways that make you active. It's actually pushing you to change in ways and act in ways that actually matter. Remember me saying, like, don't come to this thinking that it depends on you. It doesn't, but I'll tell you this. Once you encounter this, rather than you working to try and earn God's salvation, His favor, right, what will change in you is you will not be able to resist working in ways that spread His favor. It will transform you and make you active in ways that matter. Um, You know, there's this very famous Spurgeon quote. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. As soon as I said Spurgeon and the word... um, it's talking about kind of uh, the, the Bible and how it doesn't need to be depended and doesn't uh, depend on our activity. Um, here's the quote. He says, The Word of God can take care of itself, and it'll do so if we preach it and cease defending it. See that lion? They have caged him for his preservation, shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion? 
What a clatter they make with their swords and spears. These mighty men are intent upon defending a lion. O fools and slow of heart, open that door. Let the Lord of the forest come forth free. Who will dare to encounter him? What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all of its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of its adversaries. The Bible isn't a hermit crab. If anything, we're the hermit crab. The Bible is a lion that's coming for you. It's active, and it doesn't need us to accomplish its work, but it will use us to accomplish its work. And what a grace, right? All right, so it's living, it's active. Now we're going to talk about its piercing and dividing. This is the most fun. You guys have been excited about this, I can tell. <clears throat> this is the, the, the part that obviously, right, on first reading, you're like, oh, obviously this is the grace part. Let me read it again. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Right? Just so grace. <laughs> right? Like this, this, when you think of grace, you think of that passage, I'm sure. Um, but it is. Let me explain. All right? Uh, essentially, like this is God's word uh, what it's talking about between dividing soul and spirit, it's like as in dividing like our sinful parts and, and the spirit, right? It's carving out the parts of us that are broken and flawed and the parts that are holy and sanctified. So dividing soul and spirit, separating joints and marrow, kind of life and death is what joints and marrow, bone and marrow are kind of indication of. You can have bone without life, without marrow. Right? So it's carving out the life from the death is kind of the picture here. And judging the intentions of the heart, it's, it's kind of an image of kind of like total exposure, right? Uh, essentially kind of like cutting through all of our junk to kind of like see us. It's an undressing, a dissection, a, an examination. And I get that that doesn't feel like grace, but I, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, and, and here's, here's the image, a couple of images. Truth be told, I, I wrote this sermon like two, three weeks ago during the Daniel fast. So this first illustration was totally inspired by that moment, right? I need you to understand I was not allowed to eat meat, okay? But the first thing that came to my mind when I pictured this, it's like when you're cooking a steak and you got to cut into it to see if it's done, Right? And you do, and you find that it's done, and you just get that steak's ready. Right? That's an image of this. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. That's all I could think about at the time. Um, you could also think about like digging clay out of the sand, the Kermit crab, right? To find the life in him. Right? Uh, that's maybe getting a little bit more to the grace aspect of this. Right? But, but maybe the best illustration would be a sculptor kind of chiseling out an image out of a rock. That's what, that's what this is describing, that, that essentially God is carving away all of the junk in order to reveal the Christ in us. And what a grace. That's a grace in so many ways. But first I want you to see the irony. What do we think we do with this book? We think we examine it. 
dissect it, and, and evaluate it. That's often how we approach it. When in truth, this is the device in which we are examined, dissected, right? That's, it, think, about, think about a steak trying to cut into a knife <laughs> to see if it's done. That's often how we approach this. Um, Harvard, I love this, on its, on its crest, kind of hearkening back to its olden days and its roots, it's kind of like rich kind of theology school back in the olden days. They have a book that's like this, facing up, <clears throat> representing <clears throat> kind of all of the studies, uh, liberal arts, uh, sciences, right? Like we sit over the book and we examine it and learn. But the Bible is pictured in a book facing down. I love that because it's the book <laughs> that dissects us. It's the book that essentially is the authority over us. We don't, we don't look down on it. We look up to it, right? And it's, it's judgments of us are a part of how we learn about ourselves. Do you see that image? And, and, and this is a grace, right? This is a grace. It's first of all a grace I hope you see, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to this. It's ready for all of your junk. It's ready to cut through all of that. And so, so often people kind of like, they think, I've, before I study the Bible, I have to, you know, I have to have this stretch of holiness, um, right? Because I, I don't want to defile it. <laughs> or I don't want to come and, and yeah, no. It wants you to come, and it wants to carve that out. It's ready for your junk. Secondly, like, it removes the junk. It exposes it for what it is and extracts it. It's kind of like talking about cancer surgery. I don't think anybody that I know that has experienced cancer surgery is like, that was great, <laughs> right? But it is a grace. If they're able to get all of that cancer out, and, and preserve your life, right? That is a grace. And so while, while this description of God's word, it may not be fun, but it, but it is a grace in that sense. And then thirdly, what I talked about, like that chiseling aspect of, of the word revealing Christ in you. Um, I, I love how Tom prayed. You know, we, we were praying for a diverse unity. You know, the Bible talks about us being one with Christ, our union with Christ, Right? Have you ever thought about what that looks like, like being one with Christ? There are other things that are one with Christ, the Father and the Spirit. And, and do you see that they're both unified and distinct? So, so I think that the Bible teaches that we have an individual distinction. You are a person, right? And as we are one with Christ, what happens is our, our union with Christ, what's displayed as the chiseling process completes is, is the uniqueness of who you are as you were intended to be, perfected in Jesus. You're not lost, but you get him, and you have his identity. Isn't that, I mean, it's as mysterious as the Trinity, right, and as amazing. And so as you read this book, and, and those parts of you get revealed, what a grace, what a grace to see yourself emerge as you were intended to be. 
I can't help but think about um, Jesus and Lazarus, right? He shows up at the tomb, and what does he do? He says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. That's essentially what the Word of God is doing to you. It's calling you out of the tomb that is <laughs> our current existence calling out the life in you from the death and, and, and calling you out and giving you a picture, a small picture, as, as we're kind of walking through this world headed towards glorification, our sanctification is kind of like the trajectory of that. We're starting to get glimpses of the glorified form of who we will be in heaven. What a grace. All right. <clears throat> it's piercing and dividing. It's active. It's alive. I want to kind of conclude by talking about uh, the means and grace in general. This is the last kind of sermon in this series. God gave us the means of grace to give us everything we need for our witness in the world to achieve our mission of living, speaking, and serving as the very presence of Christ. So we have public worship and we have fellowship, which kind of serve as the pipes. <laughs> and then we have the word, sacraments, and prayer, which are kind of the water. Um, that essentially bring, that is kind of the grace that is given to us, that nourishes us. Um, the regular administration of the means of grace in the context of the church have changed the world again and again. And our prayer is that Christ would so deeply apply his grace to our church that we would grow and be used in more ways than we can ask or imagine. Um, I want to conclude by telling you this story. Many of you know that um, Josephine Walker, who was a member of our church for I don't know how long, um, more than a decade. Uh, I think we did the math, but I forget how long it was, but a long time. Um, dear Saint in this church, she passed away before Christmas, and we had a funeral service. It was such a beautiful service. Um, it was so laced with scripture. All these different people came up and shared about their experience with her and her love of God and her love of God's word. Um, I really felt like five sermons were preached before I got up and was supposed to kind of like preach. Um, so I actually really shortened my sermon because um, I felt like so many things had already been said. It was just such a rich service, and I was so encouraged walking away. About a week later, we got this letter, and I just want to read it to you. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for all your wonderful care with my neighbor, Miss Josephine. I'm writing to you, asking you to consider doing something in memory of her. Would you please seek the Lord about starting a Bible study for us at Glenwood Towers? The kingdom of God, listen to this, this is fire. Somebody better shout hot glory after this sentence. Are you ready? The kingdom of God does not have a retirement age since our lives are eternal with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Here at Glenwood Towers, we've been isolated from church and from the teaching of his word. Would you consider starting this study in Miss Josephine's honor? Yeah. What a privilege to get this letter. I got it. I read it. I called this woman immediately. Um, her passion for God's word was so convicting. And, and I, I, have, I, I just told her, I said, look, I don't know what we're going to do to make this happen. I don't know what the rules are at Glenwood Towers, but we're going to make this happen. And it's happening. Um, but, you know, I hung up the phone and I started thinking, 
70, 80 years old. <laughs> this woman has engaged with the Word of God her, her whole life, it seems to me. She certainly knows more about it than I do. Um, she probably quoted no less than 40 different passages of Scripture to me as she was pleading with us <laughs> to start this study, right? I mean, I was just like, I think you need to start a study for us, <laughs> right? And, I, and I'm thinking about this. I'm like, I'm imagining, like, all right, I'm 70, I'm 80 years old. I'm in a, in a retirement home. Like, I know a lot about God's Word. That's how I feel now, all right? I, I don't think she needs anything from us. But I think she's so optimistic about what this will do in her life and our lives, she just doesn't want to miss out on doing it together. What an incredible <laughs> privilege for her to ask us into that. That is a picture of what God has given us, these means of grace ordinarily available to us. What a privilege, what a joy that we get to interact with it on the regular. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us a heart for the means of grace um, and particularly for your word. Lord, forgive us for thinking that your word's dependent upon us, that we have to make it interesting or breathe life into it or that we need to initiate with it as though somehow our salvation is, is kind of up to us. Um, Lord, instead, help us to see what it looks like to respond responsibly to, um, Lord, your incredible message of grace that's contained in it. Um, Lord, overwhelm us with the truth of your love and your grace, and uh, Lord, use it and us together uh, for the glorification of your name in this world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.